will end it after the shovel, or will it? Miami running around, circling, oh look out! Gronkowski didn't have the angle! Touchdown! Oh, how can you drink? A miracle! Hello, welcome to the Dolphin UK podcast. A bit of a special episode this week. Got a, got a nice um, UK focused guest for you all, which I'm sure you'll be very keen to hear. Um, joined by Simon and Lee, as always. Si, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Andy. Really um, enjoyed chatting with our special guest earlier on this evening. So I hope the listeners enjoy that conversation that we had with him. Yeah, and Lee, how are you doing, mate? You're right. Yeah, doing well. Nice to be on again. It's always say it might we might be in the off season. There's always stuff for us to talk about. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Some some people with silly tweets and uh, and such <laughs> forth. Thank God for social media. Eh? Um, oh yeah. Right, we'll, we'll kick off with the interview then. Um, uh, Sidecorn, I'll hand it over to you to, to give it a bit of a, an intro, and then we can jump straight into you kicking us off. Absolutely honoured and delighted to welcome to the podcast now um, the man who is in charge of the NFL in the UK, Mr. Alistair Kirkwood. Welcome to the pod, Alistair. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, lovely to have you as mate, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, I guess I'll kick off. Obviously, we're at the business end of the season now. Uh, unfortunately, the Dolphins obviously uh, aren't in there. Um, but you all have seen firsthand uh, with your colleagues in America and everything um, just how much effort's gone into this season. Are you kind of uh, surprised we've got as far as we have, or, or you know, are you always confident we get through a full season? Uh, I, th- I don't think anyone can forecast what's happening from week to week, never mind what's going to happen from month to month. Uh, all I know is that the colleagues in the US have done an unbelievable job. Um, you know, they've really kind of, and, and when I say colleagues, I mean, it's as broad as possible. You know, teams, front office, coaches, players, everybody, as well as uh, the folks in the league, navigated through some some crazy unparalleled times. Um, and, you know, it's been great to have have football on Sundays in particular kind of as an escape and and uh, for us to have got through to this stage I think I think it's a great achievement by everyone involved. Obviously we had the disappointment of the um, international series games for 2020 being cancelled which was the right decision of course and ultimately yeah. um, the safety of everyone um, was at the forefront of that decision there. Um, so where are you, bearing in mind we're still in the middle of the pandemic, where are you with planning for the 2021 games now? What has, obviously that surely must have had some sort of impact in in terms of your planning, but where are you now with that? Yeah, we're, we're a bit later than uh, we'd normally be in a, in a non-pandemic year, if any of us can remember what that was like. Um, normally, you'd be in a situation where by the time you're playing games, you pretty much know what you're doing the following year. You don't know um, necessarily game weeks or kickoff times or things like that, but you've pretty much identified the home teams and the away teams and and you start the planning pretty much at the same time as you're executing those games. Um, I think this time around, back in September, October, uh, you've got, you, we had to respect the fact that the teams needed to get through the se- this current season, and I don't, I don't think anyone should actually expect uh, teams to do anything beyond kind of short-term planning and just, you know, managing th- 
through things on a day-by-day -day basis. So we've started to do the work. Um, we've started to have uh, conversations um, and it will speed up in, in, in the off season. Um, I'm fairly comfortable with all of that. I mean, we've had over the years um, some late games that, in terms of, um, I remember the, was it the 2011 or 2012 game uh, where we didn't get it confirmed till August. We've had other, we've had um, challenges with the first Spurs game, with the stadium um, uh, not being ready for open. So there's a lot of experience in the office. So, so it's actually okay um, to be later uh, in the planning process, but um, it's it's about getting it right rather than actually getting it on time. Does the um, vaccine rollout have an impact on that? Because obviously. The, the majority of the population um, are going to be vaccinated later in the year. Um, does that come into your thinking in any way and have to align with those sort of timescales, do you think? Uh, yeah, well, you have to feel confident that you can put games on safely. Um, and vaccines will, will obviously be part of, of that process. I mean, if, if the games were being played uh, now, you know, over in the UK, you wouldn't be able to uh, put the games on because uh, it's one thing to play games in the states that uh, to either small crowds where permitted or no crowds. Um, it doesn't make sense to tra transfer everyone all the way over the ocean in order to actually play in front of no one. So, so you'll want to play in front of a full stadium. I think that's that's kind of obvious. Um, I think the good news is that um, there's a lot more reasons to be helpful um, that by, say, September, October, we're in a good place than, than maybe three months ago where you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed about a vaccine and now what, we've got three or four approved. So, um, so I think we're in a much better place and have good reasons to feel confident. It feels to me like um, even with like a year off from the international series, that the kind of uh, pickup of the game in the country is just improving, uh, you know, week by week. It's sometimes obviously loads of people involved now. And I mean, I, I got into the uh, NFL about six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, the, now I see people walking down the, the, the street outside my house in kind of like all the different teams' hats and the, you get the jerseys and everything like quite regular. I mean, do, do you feel like... Um, it's just kind of non-stop growth for, for, for the NFL in the UK at the moment. And, and like, what do you put that success down to other than yourselves, of course? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I like to believe actually that the, the business side is similar to um, on the field, which is momentum is, is the thing that you want the most. Um, when we first started doing this, really charts back to like late 2002, was the very first attempt to actually start building anything in the UK. And we set up NFLUK.com in 2003, started throwing um, Super Bowl parties, and then uh, started to get um, onto free-to-air television as well and get more games um, on Game Pass, which I think launched in like 2006, 2007. And then, then you start playing games. Um, we've done 28 now. Then you've got Regent Street and Trafalgar Square festivals. And um, then uh, we start doing more on the football side. We play at Pathway and then we're Academy. So uh, whilst at the time it never, 
it wasn't like all of this was planned over a 20 year period methodically. Um, but it's got to the stage where the fans have, have um, supported pretty much every single thing that we've ever tried to do. You know, if you look back, there was a period where we went from one game a year to two games a year to three games a year in consecutive years. And the fans came out in their droves and sold, sold them out. That sends a message back to New York that then allows us to get more support and do more things going forward. More people then start watching um, this, uh, our sport. Um, we, we started to get good presence on the BBC, which then brings in more people into the funnel. Sky steps up um, and commits um, a crazy amount, at, uh, culminating this season with a dedicated 24-7 channel. Uh, they two or three years ago they agreed to put Red Zone on Sky Sports Mix, which then gets uh, even more people uh, coming in. So I'm not saying that every single step of the way we've we've done it perfectly, but there's lots of there's lots of good initiatives that have been taking place. That means that you get momentum, and then as you say, once you start seeing people wearing jerseys and expressing their fandom i mean when i when i uh, first started doing this thing it, it almost felt like a alcoholics anonymous where you kind of um confess secretly that you're an nfl fan because you didn't know anyone else and you know social media and digital um, websites etc have bro broken a lot of those things down as well um and now now it's actually kind of something that's uh, fans are, are very proud of that so so it's it's been a, it's been a journey but um it's come from a lot of work over over the years continuing that journey into 2021 obviously we know that um last year the, the both the dolphins and the falcons had committed to home games in the international series is that commitment being carried forward into the future i.e 2021 or are you pretty much now drawing a line under 2020 and having to start the process from almost from scratch again we actually haven't had any uh, conversations with with any teams yet um I th we made a commitment that we would get through the season that was before we knew exactly when the season would uh, take place um so i expect those conversations start taking place in february um then we'll just see we'll just see where we're at um i think i think all of us in our personal professional lives family lives um have kind of learned to not take anything for granted so um it just made sense to to give the teams time off from thinking about what 2021 looks like um there's an awful lot that they've had to work through and even you know things like what the size of the salary cap is going to be next year you know and what does that mean for their rosters and everything there's so much fluidity uh, and the teams have done a great job of ad adapting. Uh, I think once we start having those conversations in February, uh, we'll move behind the scenes quite quickly. As, as you guys know, the schedule gets announced, I think, in early May, or it did last year. Uh, so they'll stick to, if they stick to those kind of timelines, then we've basically got two months to sort everything out. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's all. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I think we're all just 
getting so bogged down by COVID now, aren't we? That would be nice, some nice good news if we can uh, can bring the games back. Obviously, yeah, look forward to that if we can. Um, yeah. Quick, quick, uh, another qu- a question on because uh, I, I know we've both got friends that are, that are Packers fans, and um, I know this isn't a Packers podcast, but we've got to ask the question: Do you any like uh, any closer do you reckon to getting them in the future? Or, or I suppose a more general point on that is that how do you, how are the the teams that come over here how's that actually decided? Yes, so there's probably been two or three times over the years where I thought we had the Packers, and then and then we didn't. Um, so um, the way it works is you need a a team to volunteer to be uh, the, the home team. Now that can be as as per the previous question uh, through a mechanism like hosting a Super Bowl, or it can be that um, teams have expressed an interest. So one of the reasons why we've be able to have Jacksonville come over every year for the last few years and therefore help us play multiple games is because they see that as a good thing for the overall um, Jacksonville economy and also the presence uh, and awareness of Jacksonville as a city. So every every city is slightly different as to why they might uh, want to agree to that. So for example, in 2013, we had Minnesota come over. That's because they were... Um, building a new stadium and they were playing in a college stadium. So there's always different things that might happen that may motivate um, someone to come, come over now. Uh, you know the opponents that um, by the end of the season, uh, you have the three divisional uh, teams. So if it was Miami, you know that uh, they're playing Buffalo Jets and uh, Patriots. Um, you then know who they're matched at matched against so there's um two divisions that they're they're due to play um and they'll and so you can identify those and then based on where the um where the team actually ends finishes at the end of the season they're then matched with so if the dolphin if the dolphins uh, finish second and i'm making up because i can't even remember um who they're matched against so let's say it's um, the NFC South then they would be matched with second place for the NFC South which um, in that case would be Tampa Bay so you have you have the list of eight um, we have played divisional games but um, but in our statutes t- both teams have the right to veto that because that might be seen as a competitive disadvantage not having that home field experience um, so therefore, you're really looking at five other five other um, teams. So that's a long-winded way of saying trying to match up with Green Bay is a crapshoot because what you actually need is a team that's actually got them on the schedule to host them, right. also be volunteering. And so you, it, it almost doesn't matter whether you want it to happen. Um, you know, I, there was a, a year, a couple of years ago, where we had uh, a couple of teams, I think Houston and Carolina in the same year. And we were trying to tick a box and make sure that we we could get as close to 32 teams as possible. And we just happened to get matchups that worked for us. Um, Green Bay will happen at some point, um, whether it's this year or another year. I think I think everyone would, would love that as, a, as both a story. And also, you know, I know there's a lot of fans that have... Uh, come to every single game and to be able to actually say that they've seen everybody uh, play in London would be quite an achievement. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, this obviously it's a, this is a Dolphins-centric podcast, Alistair, so we'll be, um, I'll, I'll cover off a few Dolphins questions shortly, but we've got two sure. more to, to ask you now. Andy's going to ask you one on the NFL Academy, but before he gets to that, that I just wanted to know what your vision is of the long-term future of, of the International Series in London. What does it look like from your perspective? For example, do you wish for a franchise or do you see multiple games or an increase in the number of games in in london before you get to that franchise stage what what do, what's your opinions there yeah I, I honestly um if we had had these conversations at any point in time in the say since the games have been playing since 2007 pick a year and i'd answered those questions i would have got it wrong um we played when we played the very first game. We were told that if we did a good job, we would get another game in four years' time, and we ended up getting a game every year. Uh, when they told us in 2012 that they wanted to go to two games and then to three games, and then we had to figure out how we get to four games, and Wembley didn't have enough date availability, so we then went into Twickenham. Then we did a long-term deal with Spurs, um, which. I didn't see coming until we were actually negotiating. Um, so I really actually have no real um, sense as to how things will pan out. I just am a strong believer in momentum. So I always just feel like the more that you can do that is additive and that actually just makes sense, um, the bigger the sport will, will become. And I don't necessarily think that it needs to be more games. Um, a franchise could could be great for bringing in new fans who need to have a uh, a hook, you know, something to identify with. But if you don't have a franchise, that doesn't mean that we can't grow and, and be can be big. I mean, you replace a franchise with trying to grow more British players playing the game. And that can that can bit still be a hook, you know. We I think we had what four British players playing in the playoffs um, this time round, uh, which again, if you told me that ten years ago, I thought, well, I'll take that. Um, so I think it's I think it's less about what I might forecast because I'm a little bit like my uh, preseason predictions; I always get it wrong. Um, <laughs> I think it's just more about um, keep the thing keep the thing going. I mean, again, having a dedicated NFL channel, whilst just you know you're able to subscribe to Game Pass and also see all the Dolphins games. I, I mean, I go way way back when when success for me was when uh, listening to Armed Forces Network radio and trying to avoid the Spanish opera singer. Um, yeah. singing at a critical moment of a drive, right? And yeah, so I remember that well. Go, Whatever we're doing is so much better than back then. <laughs> I think uh, my wife would probably disagree as uh, I've got the game pass on my laptop and never screen for the Dolphins game and then uh, the um, and red zone on the TV. So <laughs> I'll point her in your direction. <laughs> um, I guess part of, <laughs> part of what you were just saying was the it was about like the development of British players then. and yeah, as I said, I'd like just to, to ask like um, how long do you think it's going to be until you kind of get that consistent pipeline of players into into the college game through the academy? And you know, how, how will you classify that as a major success? Um, you know, in terms of time length and that sort of thing. Yeah, so we so we got two 
two different initiatives going on. The Player Pathway uh, program that we started up from this office in 2015. Um, and that's aimed at athletes of whether they play at different sports or just are athletically um, have strong capabilities. Um, and we train them up intensively. And we've got uh, this season, the starting left tackle of the Eagles uh, that's come from that program, never played, never played uh, before. Uh, F.A. Obada, um, five and a half sacks for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, you've got Jakob Johnson, fullback for the Patriots. And then you've got a whole lot of players on the practice squads ready to take that next move up. Um, and again, that that was a what seemed like a fanciful idea and you won't believe the number of coaches in the US that thought we were crazy trying to do something like that. Um, and we were probably a bit crazy, but the fact that you can actually find those freakish type athletes is, is brilliant. And then the thought was, right, could you actually be even more productive if you got to kids when they're a bit younger, uh, when they're still maturing physically and mentally and try to really... Um, build that out so we've we're into the second year of the academy uh, we've got 16 to, 9, 16 to 19 year old kids um, the overall ethos of the academy is to provide uh, all the kids a an opportunity and a platform for them to have um, opportunities in life whether that's going into further education whether that's getting employment or for some going going into NCAA colleges so success is not everybody going into the colleges, recognizing that some will and a lot won't, but give them um, greater opportunities just in general. And in the first year, you've got three athletes that have got 19 division one college scholarships, which goes way beyond what I would have thought we'd have, we could have achieved in the first year. Um, the kind of talent that we've identified and managed to, to get on board has been really, really impressive in year two. We're obviously managing uh, all of this via a pandemic. So again, resiliency and kind of fortitude from the from the students and also the coaches involved has been kind of at a premium. But I honestly believe, I'm biased, but I honestly believe that in five years time, you'll look back at the academy and probably say that, that that's the biggest initiative that, we've, that we'll have done. Um, it probably trumps everything else. Uh, from a potential perspective, um, because as you as you get success, and you those the kids that go to the next level will be role models for 13, 14 year olds. And we've always had talent in this country. We just never offered a pathway, and it was always you know you had to be lucky or or just in the right place at the right time, or your family moved to America when you're a teenager, or you know things like that that you can't replicate. Um, so I'm really excited about about that as a as a potential um, next stage for us. Quite often on this podcast, um, Alistair, when we complain about the lack of dolphins running game, um, myself, Andy, and Lee, who's not here tonight, unfortunately, quite often say um, that they could should plug us in there because we could do a better job. <laughs> I guess we now need, we now know where we can go for some uh, expert training. Well, you could also look at Buffalo, who who don't even want to run the ball. So maybe if Tua, if Tua takes that next level up, 
uh, what the Bills did what like one running play in the whole of the first half, and I think that was that was actually a scramble on a broken down play. So, you know, maybe that's the future of the game. Yeah. Then the three of us could all be running backs in that kind of <laughs> world, right? Indeed, <laughs> indeed. On on to the Dolphins themselves. Then um, we we do need to ask you some Dolphins related questions. Sure. And one of the first things that um, I thought to talk about was that they've appeared in four London games today, and last year they'd committed to a fifth. So why are the Dolphins so accommodating in uh, wanting to visit London? Now I know it's partly to do with their popularity and the fact that they need to give up a, up a home game to host a Super Bowl. Um, but as I said, they've appeared in four already. What's Why are they so accommodating, do you think? Uh, honestly, uh, I know I'm paid to say this, but I'm, I'm also being sincere. Great ownership to start off with. Um, if you go back to the very first game, um, uh, we we did the NFL International owe the Dolphins so much because Wayne Hosanga offered up a home game when no one wanted to be first. You know, it's like, okay, we'll do it, but then it's a game of chicken to actually see who would who would actually do that. And back then, everyone thought that there was a real chance that um, it could be it could be a real troubling experience. Um, and as you know, coaches are creatures of habit. They don't like change. They don't like to be the first ones. They want to. It's a copycat league for the most part. Uh, and there was definitely a feeling and a concern that um, that it was going to affect um, the, the the teams from a competitive advantage perspective. Now, the Dolphins back in 2007 had, a, again, one of those teams where we'd look back on it as a rebuilding year. Um, we got lucky insofar as their opponents, the Giants, went on to win the Super Bowl. And so for the next couple of years, we just went around telling every other team, look, it's a lucky charm to play in Wembley. Um, every time that we have approached uh, Miami, we've had great conversations and kind of openness and willingness. I think they're, they're appreciative of uh, their international fan base. I think they recognize that they're a bigger global team than maybe their performance on the field, uh, you know, in the last 20 years of, um, suggested so I think they definitely wanted to kind of um, build on that um, the, it's it's not with that I'm not exaggerating to say that the international series games and London games specifically uh, would not be would not be in place today if it wasn't for the Miami Dolphins What's it like working on a sort of day-to-day basis when, with the Dolphins when, you, when you've selected them as the, the home team and you need to start putting your plans in motion? What are they like working with them on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, well, obviously over the years, personalities will have changed. Um, you know, and the, you know, different ownership uh, for some of those games as well and the different front office. There's still a handful of people that um, were there from the very first game. Uh, Back in the for the very first year, we took the whole office uh, to to Miami to meet to meet um, Dolphins front office. It's the only time in all the years where everyone went to the US, um, and that was partly because um, everyone was scared of of it all going wrong and wanted to just over communicate. Um, there are teams. You're not going to get me to to name them, so don't even try. Uh, there are teams that are very difficult behind the scenes um, in the same way as you can see as fans that there are there are coaches that are more innovative than others there are cultures that are more grouchy than others 
there are there are teams that have front offices that you know aren't either aren't as collaborative or they have a division between their football um, and their business side. Um, I, the Dolphins have always been um, in the in the plus column for all of this. They're always kind of joined at the hip. They talk in one voice. They're very proactive, um, and they and they they've got a can-do attitude. And it's not the case of of every team that participates. I think that starts at the very top, doesn't it? You've got Stephen Ross, um, the ownership, and you've got um, Tom Garfinkel as well, who's the president and CEO. And I think he's got a, a really good reputation around the league. Um, you, you just look at all the initiatives he's brought in and the fact that they were the one and only team in the NFL this year to get that accreditation for um, making their stadium COVID secure. So I think that speaks volumes for, the, for that organisation. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they, uh, particularly for that, they they were kind of um, innovators in terms of how they how they approach that. And that's kind of um, definitely the type of organisation that I recognise. We'll finish off then. I'll just uh, ask you if you've got any kind of insight or any like good stories of when the Dolphins have come over, anything that stands out that's memorable that, that maybe our listeners wouldn't have heard before? Oh, uh, that's definitely one you should have prepped me for. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, trying to, well, I'll tell you a slightly embarrassing one because it should always be on us. Um, so back in 2007, we, um, we were planning for the game and we had the Dolphins come over in March for the, the operations folks. So the, so the operations folks come in first. They go and scout hotels and practice facilities. They do dummy runs in terms of how far uh, all the various facilities away from each other, because you're going to hire at least uh, two buses to take everybody around from place to place. They also talk to the airports, and there's a whole load of things that go on behind the scenes uh, that, that you know fans wouldn't necessarily kind of um, uh, realize. Um, and for for the to start off with, those meetings were were kind of long and arduous. You know, we would spend half an hour talking about how Wembley would, with with no Wi-Fi, um, how could you actually make sure that uh, coaches and quarterbacks could uh, communicate and all that kind of stuff uh, to get it ready. And then the difference between a two-point plug and a three-point plug and... Um, you know, you've got the ops guys who who have everything down to an absolute minute level of detail. And so we're trying our best to keep everyone uh, feeling like we know what we're doing, which we, we actually don't because we're, we're all making it up as we go along. Um, and then we try, try to think how we're going to promote this thing. Um, you know, we again, we thought it was a potentially a one and done as in play a game and that was nice. And then maybe in four years time, get another game. So how can you make the most of it? So we started to work on doing a fan festival in Hyde Park, which uh, was the precursor of the idea to do in Regent Street later on, a few years later. Uh, and also the ones that we did in Trafalgar Square, but we couldn't get permission for Hyde Park. Um, and maybe we actually didn't even ask the right questions as to what we needed to do. And then uh, 
uh, came up with a concept of building a 26 foot fully moving animatronic robot based on Jason Taylor. Um, <laughs> as you do, right? <laughs> the, brief, the brief amongst us, there were only like six people in the office back then. Uh, the brief amongst us was the NFL's larger than life. We've got to do something that will wow, wow people that are not NFL fans and that you know no other sport would think about doing. Uh, so we found a supplier that had done something with Circus du Soleil the year before. And we asked them in two and a half months to try and get everything ready. Um, it wasn't ready till the Sunday before game week. So, so it was touch and go. Um, and we took it. We took the uh, robot to Trafalgar Square, to uh, into the city, uh, down into Victoria Station where, where the robot crouched down, as well as um, Lakeside in Essex. Uh, and it worked really well. Uh, I got on the front page of the New York Times, which for you know uh, ownership was a big thing. And it was a pretty good initiative. And we were starting to believe our own hype, you know, and kind of high-fiving ourselves. And then Jason Taylor gets um, interviewed at a press conference what does he think about it? And it only dawned on us at that point in time that the, the basic elementary thing that we'd forgotten to do was ask for his permission. <laughs> so we'd gone on and done that, got his likeness, done, done everything, promoted the heck out of him, and we'd never actually asked him. <laughs> and he didn't love the concept. Did he actually stand next to the robot? No, but no, we, we couldn't get him to, to go down. And that's more because we just... We got carried away with our own enthusiasm. We were also a bit naive at that point in time. Didn't quite realize that we should have at least asked him. If we'd done it properly, he would have been all over it. But uh, so embarrassing on our side, but uh, we got away with it. And and I also think that, you know, particularly, I mean, the Dolphins were one and seven going into that game. Were they? No, they were on seven. Um, yeah, they were. They were, yeah. they were later in the season because um, we were very relieved for them but they were 0-7 so they were winless and actually in hindsight having a big promotional tool that was promoting the home team that had given up so much when you really couldn't actually promote the team based on its on-field performance was actually a blessing being able to actually still go get behind and say um, all neutral fans try and get behind the Dolphins was uh, was important for us Nice, well Thank you very much, man. Yeah, sorry, I don't know if you've got any last thoughts. Yeah, just last thoughts. In case you need any persuading, Alistair, the Dolphins are playing away at the Jaguars in the 2021 season. <laughs> so there's a potential there for, for um, a, a London doubleheader, me thinks. So, uh, yeah, just saying. <laughs> and uh, are you guys feeling hopeful for next season? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's all the, yeah, where it's going to be, yeah, uh, Deshaun Watson or Tua. Yeah, that's the big debate, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think either way, whatever happens at the quarterback position, we've got a very bright future and we've got a really good head coach now. So they're definitely on the right curve for sure. And we always said on this show that next season would be the one where we'd look for them to make. A, a, a definite playoff push. I mean, this year has exceeded all expectations, of course. Yeah, and the de so, the defense was really, really impressive. Um, yeah. that, and I think, I think uh, over the last few years, that's always been 
been a weakness. Um, you know, so even during kind of the Fitz Magic years, um, able to throw the ball and be attractive on offense, uh, not necessarily do it game after game, but but certainly have your moments. But now I think you've got your best defense that you've had for a very long time. Yeah, for sure. That's all on the coach, isn't it? He's a formidable guy and, um, you know, be uh, interesting to see his take on the London stuff when he comes over, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think uh, I think just have patience with Tua because um, with, I think the likes of Mahomes and actually Deshaun have spoiled us the, the whole idea of a pretty much a rookie, a rookie player uh, in that position can come in and, and do lights out. Um, the actual concept of taking two or three years uh, for the game to slow down is, is kind of more the norm. So I'd, I'd expect them to uh, do much better next season. Yeah. Lastly, just um, have you got a, your quick Super Bowl prediction, Alistair? Uh, well, my Super Bowl prediction before the start of the season um, was Kansas City against Tampa. It wasn't based on any science, not that any of my predictions are, because we didn't have a preseason, so I didn't actually know who was going to do what. And I um, also didn't pick Green Bay to get through to the playoffs, so it's not like I'm Nostradamus or anything. <laughs> uh, I'll probably stick to those two at the moment, as just so because I have the benefit of them acting a little bit smug amongst colleagues. So, <laughs> As long as no one looks at my divisional predictions, I'll just go, no, those two, are, that's who I predicted. Uh, but reality is, is I think we've got four great teams, four great storylines, and uh, only a fool would say that they really know what's going to happen next. Excellent. Really appreciate time, Alistair. Thanks for coming on, and hopefully it will be fascinating listening um, for, for people who download the pod. All the best. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Nat Coombs, host of The Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Yep, I know, wildly original title, hey? Well, each week I get together some of the leading voices from the NFL UK family and plenty of our stateside friends too to get you up to speed on the 2020 season as we roll all the way to Tampa Bay and hopefully another Gronk Beach Party. So wherever you grab your pods, download and subscribe. Great. Well, that, that was really uh, interesting, wasn't it? Really good uh, interview. Got a bit of insight into how the whole UK operation works, and um, and you know maybe a little bit of a bit of a news line there that we might find out a bit more detail in, uh, in, in to, as the as the months progress, and hopefully we'll have international games this year. Sai, any takeaways from you from the interview? I mean, it's really accommodating that he gave up his e um, half an hour of his evening to come and chat with us because he can't have too many of these requests. We're certainly not in the national media. So I thought it was really decent of him to to give us some of his time today. Yeah, for sure. Um, very, very accommodating and uh, hopefully we'll do it again in the future. Um, right, I guess a bit of Dolphins news. That's what you're here for. Um, I think that we've been pretty starved of actual news this last week. It's been a lot of uh, hype and speculation, as as always. As, uh, sometimes you just want a quiet day, don't you? Just uh, <laughs> nothing to nothing to tweet about, nothing to to get that excited about. But uh, but yeah, the, the Deshaun Watson stuff's rumbled on, um, so we'll give that a miss. But um, actually, we'll talk about it very quickly then with with a Vince Beagle tweet. Um, Lee, I'll throw it to you. Like, what was he thinking? And uh, and is he going to be a Miami Dolphins uh, player next season? 
no i i just i did just no i don't see any way that he can be because even if the deshaun watson trade comes off it, it's got nothing to do with wanting the player it's got nothing to do with agreeing with the two it's it's how it looks to to the coaching staff and how it comes across to the front office and you know this front office we've said many times don't let a lot of stuff get out of house and stuff like that players liking tweets like that and, and replying it's just it's just not smart just don't do it i like you, there's no need to just don't you, you know i like vince beagle a lot i thought he was you know it was a shame that he got hurt i thought he would have been a, a great asset to the team i know you know um he needs a contract but you know you just guaranteed that one of 32 teams isn't going to give you a contract and I, I, I'd be interested, you know, I wonder if that actually affects how other teams see it, you know, because if we've seen it, the Dolphins have seen it, you know, every other every other NFL franchise has seen it as well. And I, I don't know, every, look, everyone's definitely 100% entitled to their opinion, you know, and, and athletes and, and football players are certainly no different. But it just doesn't seem like a great business decision to put it actually out there in the media you know you're better off saying nothing than 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 saying something in in a lot of circumstances and and this this is one of those this isn't you know talking out about a big issue this is talking out about solely a football issue and you know i I don't see how and this is not necessarily specific to vince beagle but just to to any player you know, we talked last week about the Armando Sogaro piece about, you know, of anonymous players saying they, they didn't really have faith in tour and stuff like that. If it gets found out who you are when you say something like that or when you put a tweet out, when you do something like that, how do you go into the locker room, you know, at any point and say, don't worry, I'm right behind you. You know, we've got your bag. It just, it, it doesn't work. I think it's just, you know, the easiest thing to do is just clean break. That's it. And uh, I think he's a free agent, isn't he? So it's not going to be too yeah. difficult for to do that. Um, Sai, any, anything else on, for, on that on your side? He was totally unprofessional, I thought. Um, I mean, it's all very well speaking to a beat writer, remaining anonymous and hiding behind a, a printed um, report, but it's another thing tweeting it out from your own account. And I don't really understand what he could have hoped to have achieved from that. <laughs> Um, there was absolutely no good to have come out of that whatsoever, and um, it was it had it was almost like he he dropped a clanger. Um, he got zero credit out of that, so you could say that um, Beagle dropped a bagel. <laughs> can, can you yeah, imagine Brian Flores is sitting in his office? Oh, oh blimey! Come yeah. here, guys. Vince says we need to get Watson. Let's 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 give the Texans a call. It was, yeah, it was such a stupid thing to do. And um, ultimately, the tweet got deleted. And I just wonder if the fact that he's so stupid, he didn't even realise what he'd done, that he's not even clever enough to have deleted it. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised had it have been, had he been told to delete it either by the PR or the comms team or his teammates or even the front office. I wouldn't have been surprised if they were the ones that told him to take the tweet down. And just, uh, just what an error. That's like PR 101, isn't it? But uh, anyway, let, go on. Sorry, just just to, one more thing on it. You know, we would all get in trouble for doing the same things in our daily lives. And, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being, un, 
you know, that we're being unfair to to a sportsman. It, it, it's nothing to do with it. I couldn't do it about the company I work for. Do you know what I mean? If I, if I tweeted out something bad about the pod, you guys are having me traded next week. Like, it, it, <laughs> it, that's the way, you, you, you know, you just got to be a little bit smart about it. And the only thing is, I mean, we, we've all done things where it, it's a genuine mistake. I know it's easy to do on Instagram. It's, it's very easy to like a post by accident. Like the Pope. It, yeah, that's the only thing that could possibly have happened is that this is some sort of horrible accident. But in that case, I mean, you should tweet straight away, just like, nope, wasn't me. Lee, if, it, you did, if you did end up saying something about the pod, we're definitely going to be transferring you to the Patriots podcast. Oh. So. <laughs> I was going to say that they don't think the Jets have one. That could be, you can start that up, mate. Yeah. Start my one. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, Right, the, the only other two things are kind of like the, the offensive coordinator sort of um, piece. So we'll just quickly touch on that. It seems to me like uh, most of the external guys that were in the running have either been uh, kind of seized on, uh, promoted or vice versa within the, the organisations where they already were. Um, so I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Do, do you think that makes it more likely that, that we go in-house for an offensive coordinator or do you think it just simply means we'll delay a bit and, and take in a few more candidates, maybe a ex-head coach or something like that yeah I mean it's looking like it's going to be internal isn't it and, and not that there's anything wrong with those candidates but you do wonder if and the, I think the other one was Pep Hamilton I think that was uh, possibly interviewed that hasn't been given a job and maybe that says a lot about him and the quality of what he can do but it does seem as though in the job's going to go internally but if the if they had liked a lot of the candidates um, that they've inter- interviewed today um, why clearly they're not been that enamoured by them because they've not offered them a job and they've been snapped up for other roles. So either they're really struggling to fill the role or, or like you say, Andy, perhaps they've got somebody in mind who's not yet available to interview, perhaps. Yeah, it feels like it must be quite awkward, wasn't it? You, you, that, that, they may, may have had like a, a preferred candidate and then when they get promoted internally, the, the other kind of candidates that you've interviewed know that they weren't the first choice. So it's a bit of a, a bit of an awkward process, isn't it? Because they're all born at public. So, uh, you know, obviously, if you went for if, if one of us went for a job and then uh, and then the, the the lead candidate didn't get it, we wouldn't know and we'd be delighted that we got the got got the job offer. But the uh, for them, it's all played out in public, so it must be quite a, a weird process. Uh, Lee, anyone kind of jumping off the off the plate as the favourite for you? No, I don't think there's anyone sort of favourite. I think to me, if I had to to place money somewhere, I, I, I bet the the offensive coordinator is currently in the playoffs. Um, because again, we know information doesn't get out of Miami, so all the people we've heard about have had interviews, you know, that they wanted to. Um, other than that, it, it seems bizarre that that we're not hearing more about it. I can only think that they know who they want, and it's just a case of them not being available to interview right now. Um, I, I was a bit suspicious when that list came out early on, saying these are the guys they want for OC. But like, I, I'm I'm surprised that we've got a list of people that we're interested in. Maybe once interviews were lined up and the information was kind of out of the building, but when it came out so quickly, it did kind of scream a little bit of hmm, maybe. It, they, a lot of them were kind of obvious names. Pep Hamilton's been offensive coordinator in a couple of places and quarterbacks coach and you know 
these aren't huge reaches to say they might be interested in in X. You know, I don't think there's been any real surprises in in the candidates so far. So, but yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's someone who's still unavailable to to actually interview. Adam goes then with the. Uh... <laughs> I mean, come on, how pleased would you be if you're Jamal Adams to get out of New York only to have him come and join the team that you're now on? If that gets announced, I'm trading every fantasy stuff of Russell Wilson I've got. I don't <laughs> care if Russell's a very good player. I just he can throw his bubble screens all day. But uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, you heard it here first. Fantasy pod, fantasy fantasy advice coming soon. Um, and and the only other kind of bit of. Um, uh, news really is the kind of new offensive line coordinator and uh, or coach and, and Lee. I was just going to throw it out to you. Obviously, internal promotion um, uh, Jean Pierre, who's the kind of uh, offensive line assistant at the moment. Do you think that's going to make a big difference? Obviously, uh, developing group. Um, you know, positive. I like the continuity. I think that definitely helps. We talk about it with offensive coordinators and quarterbacks all the time. Um, so I think the continuity definitely helps. I think it's really hard to judge until you get an offensive coordinator in and you actually understand what the system is they want to run. I think until then, it's it's really hard to judge. Great that they think they've got people on staff that are ready to make make the transition you know, and, and move up in the ranks. That's definitely a good thing. It means... They've hired well in the past. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's it's key to kind of give Austin Jackson, especially that, that extra attention. So, yeah, like, like, like you say, it's good for that consistency. Um, I really hope that even if we draft someone like uh, Penn and Saul at the top of the draft, I really hope that they keep him at left tackle, Jackson, and shift Saul over to right tackle. And I think I, I tweeted that out earlier. That'd be fantastic bookends. Uh, for our line, but but yes, yeah, I um, any thoughts from that on your side? The thought I had was um, the team announced they'd parted ways with uh, Steve Marshall, and my immediate reaction was, okay, you go back to Brian Flores's press conference where he said he'd hoped all of his coaches would return, and since then we've lost three. <laughs> we lost Gailey, obviously quit. Um, Marion Hobby left, and now this one as well. So. Um, so we don't know the circumstances behind behind the latest one, of course, other than that they officially parted ways. But you do wonder um, why is another one gone? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And I think Lee bangs a drum for it every week that you can't believe a word they're saying. So uh, <laughs> it feels to be they are just uh, experts of the dark arts, really, aren't they? Quan Lee. Yeah, no, I, I, I know, keep banging that drum until something changes. But I, I just want to bring it up with you guys, um, get your thoughts on it. Do you think we're starting to see the beginnings of some issues? And I don't want to, not trying to be negative, but if, if we can piece some some things together right now. We, we, Brian Flores has now been through um, a few different coordinators, some by choice, some uh, mutual partings and ways, but, you know, it means you didn't necessarily hit on the hire in the first place. We're now starting to see some grumbling some players in the media that you know and then the Vince Beagle thing but you know do you think th this is a real change from kind of the last two years where it's kind of been pretty clean um, especially from a player point of view but you know we still seem to be in this kind of perpetual cycle of changing coach staff on uh, sorry coaches on the staff you know and I don't know it at what point it, it stops being tinkering and 
it's you know you kind of need to get this right you know just for consistency for for everybody and um, so you don't have that first four games of the year where everyone's saying well, it's okay because we've got a new play caller or you know and then the same with the with the players you know we're starting to see a little bit of, you know hear that stuff in the media where that's not happened in the past two years is, is it something we should be concerned about or I don't sorry I don't think there's much to read into the positional changes in terms of coaching uh, because the fundamentals of coaching would remain the same I think there's more of an issue and we talked about it last week around the offensive coordinator and the fact that we've had multiple changes at that in that role over the last few years and because that and that is aside from the head coach that is perhaps the most important role um, coaching role in the in the organisation. Um, so there needs to be that consistency there. However, having said all of that, I would perhaps, if I was the front office or the PR department, I would be more concerned with around what some of the players are saying to um, local beat writers and what they're tweeting out. That for me would be more of a concern because ultimately it's the players that need to gel together to form that culture that Brian Flores wants. And if they start to for cracks to appear in in because they've never done this before why all of a sudden have they have they are they now starting to appear so i think that's particularly the the issue they've got to address first and foremost i feel yeah i mean i i, I tend to agree on most of that. i think the, the the difference i've got is there's always going to be these kind of players that are on the periphery of squads and you get it like in any sport don't you any team sport there's always if the team isn't like 16 and 0 in this case, or if they haven't won a major like, trophy in, in our in our game in our football over here, then you know there's always somebody just chirping away some bad apple, and, and it, it's more exaggerated for in American sport for me because of the accessibility to to the media, because of the kind of social media norms. I mean, I mean, you know, if if a player has a bad game for for, for Birmingham over here, then you don't really hear about it because because no one really cares. <laughs> like it's a, <laughs> it's not, it's not a massive thing, but because of the the like worldwide viewership of the NFL. Um, it's always somebody that's going to want to listen to somebody chirping away, isn't there? So I think that's for me is kind of why we're getting that a bit out there. And and obviously they've got to sell papers and get clicks and stuff like that. So Armando's obviously taken that and and gone forward. I mean, any other kind of journalistic integrity, you, you don't publish anything without you know naming your sources or whatever. Um, and and so obviously sports is just a bit different in that in, in, in my regard there. But on on the coaches, I I, I think that's. Uh, I think that's just again the sign of the times. I think it's it could even show kind of decisiveness from Flores. I don't think that that Gailey really wanted to retire, but I think the option was was to be fired because he just didn't get the offense clicking along uh, this season. And like the and the O line again didn't really perform. I mean, it was better, and we all know it's better. And I think that was because it's got better players on it, and we drafted well, and we and we had faith in the guys, and they weren't just guys off the street. But they still didn't. Like, it still didn't set the world on fire. So they're probably just trying to find someone who they've got long-term faith in really but yeah happy to be disagreed with no I, I i actually completely agree with you i just thought it was an interesting point to raise because it's the first time we've seen any of this i actually completely agree that one of the, the the things i like most about brian flores is he's happy to admit he was wrong and move on let's let's not just pretend we can fix it and carry on for three years until we all get fired I'm going to say, right, this isn't working, whether it's my fault or somebody else's fault. We're going to cut bait and move on. Whether that We've seen it with players and, and we've seen it with coaches. I think it's a, a, a great mentality to have. Um, 
but yeah, just what, it, just what it's worth bringing up is it's a bit of a change from what we've seen for, for his first two years. Get the sense Flores would cut his best mate as well if he had to, if he needed to, if it was for the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'd cut any of us as fans if he had a heartbeat. If we say something wrong, we're getting cut. That's, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, anyone that's had a chance to see any of his, his media availabilities through, through the year, you, you can just tell sometimes as soon as somebody asks a question, like <laughs> he, he, he just wants to yell down the camera at them. I mean, he's obviously shows great restraint and he talks... I think he talks brilliantly. He says a, a whole lot of words without ever saying anything of real substance. I think he's, you know, his PR training is, is superb. But yeah, it's, you know, I I completely agree. That he just he'd cut any of us in a heartbeat. He cut his <laughs> cut his best friend, no problem. He'd probably trade us to a Patriots or Jets podcast as well, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he probably would. But I mean, you know, if you can convince convinced come to an agreement with Gailey that he's going to retire a year after you convinced him to come out of retirement you know that that shows that that winning is way more important than than the friendship or you know whatever deal he you know whatever he had to say and do to get him out of retirement in the first place yeah hopefully a nice retirement package went along with that, that announcement but uh, there you go <laughs> um guys i think that's probably it for this week obviously the interview was uh, uh, the, the main feature but um i just wanted to finish off by getting your uh last round of the playoffs and super bowl predictions uh, so obviously lee you, you you can go first as the 10 and 6 guru over there Look at that. <laughs> you're gonna live off, that, live off that until the start of next season but uh right, yeah. who have you got them so uh, it is really difficult. I've got to be honest, I, I think in the playoffs often, if you see teams that have played each other in a regular season, the result is often reversed in the playoffs. I mean, if you take our last playoff appearance, for instance, you know, we, we put a pound in on Pittsburgh, okay, in Miami, but we play them in the playoffs, wasn't even close. Yes, Matt Moore played instead of Ryan Tannehill, but at the same time, I mean, it was just not even, we weren't in the same league as Pittsburgh that day. I mean, you could say the same a little bit for the Saints and Bucks this weekend. You know, the Saints have smashed the Bucks twice this year. And although they had every chance to put up 21 points in the first half easily, you know, come away with freeze and all of a sudden, you know, the Bucks don't get, get, get their stuff together and the Saints are out of the playoffs again, you know. It, so saying that, I actually think the Packers reverse their fortunes from earlier in the season where they, they went up and took a bit of a hiding to the, to the, to the Buccaneers. And I think they managed to pull that one out. The other game is so difficult because without knowing where Patrick Mahomes stands, I mean, the difference is, you know, the drop-off is obviously massive. Um, if Patrick Mahomes plays, I, I think they go to the Super Bowl again. That was my pick at beginners, the beginning of the year. I still think there's enough flaws in, in Josh Allen's game. And I try not to be biased because I'm a Dolphins fan and maybe that's in there. But I think when it comes down to it, you can force him into making mistakes. I think even that that last game of the year, when you know, when we got beat and we got beat bad, his the first quarter from Josh Allen was bad. And that was a game that was on the line. We just couldn't do anything about it. You know, had that been the Chiefs, I think that game gets out of control the other way quickly. Um, so, hey, why not? Let's let's go bold again. I take Chad Henney to beat the Bills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Man, he, he did well that last touchdown run. Oh, sorry, that, that last run to convert that <laughs> third down slash fourth down. Didn't he prepare play to the lad? But uh, yeah, I don't think we'll be trading for him anytime soon. <laughs> I thought the interesting thing about that was the shock in the commentators as well. Yeah. I, I can't, can't believe he let Chad Henney throw the ball. Well, hang on, Chad Henney has played, but also everyone on the earth thought you were <laughs> you were trying to get them to go offside. So it was an easy play call because you knew that's what the other team were thinking. You know, Hey, worst case scenario is you still get a chance to stop Baker Mayfield. Like it wasn't like that was the game. It was that just iced it. That's it. Go on, sorry. Hits of yours. I would really, really like Aaron Rodgers to get to the Super Bowl because I think he, he his career deserves another shot at a championship. And I think given the home field advantage they've got and the form that he's been in throughout the whole season, I'm definitely going to favour Aaron Rodgers. And I don't want Tom Brady to appear in another Super Bowl, especially in his home stadium as well, because we'd never hear the end of it. Yeah. Um, so definitely would am uh, going to tip Aaron Rodgers to get there for the Packers. In the AFC, I'm very much of the same thought as Lee. If if Mahomes plays, the Chiefs will win. If he doesn't, then the Bills will win. And um, and I think uh, the Bills have been in such a good, decent form overall over the over the recent weeks that you know what. Even if Mahomes did play, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills won. I just even though I do think the Chiefs have got that too much for them, um, so. I don't know what the the outlook is for Holmes for Mahomes to be honest with you, but um, if he plays, it will be a Chiefs versus Packers final, and I'm, I'm I would definitely like Rogers to to win the lot. Nice, yeah. I'm going to uh, reverse trend and, to, and say I think that the the Bucks will get to the Super Bowl, and I think the Bills will get to the Super Bowl, no matter who plays on the other side. And that is purely based on the fact that I got um, Tampa to, to win the Super Bowl at twenty-four to one before the season. So uh, <laughs> that'll do nicely if that comes in with twenty quid on it. Um, but yeah, I also think that the, um, uh, the 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 Chiefs didn't look great at the weekend, even with Mahomes on the field. They were, they got stopped a few times. I think the Bills' defense is much better than the Browns' defense. Uh, and I, I don't really like uh, the, the Chiefs secondary apart from uh, Tyron Matthew and, uh, and the rookie of name I've forgotten at corner. So I, I think they're, they're there to be picked apart, and I think um, I think Diggs can do that. I, I like Stefan Diggs. I think he's one of the before the season he's one of the most underrated receivers in the league. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's probably it from us, and we'll, we'll 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 see you in the near future. We're not sure when we're going to be back with the next one. Um, we're going to try and get some more interviews like we did today, uh, and hopefully bring you some new content and stuff that way. So yeah, look out for us. Um, give us a follow. We've got a competition running at the moment as well. So so win a nice Dan Marino mug. So that'd be uh, that'd be a nice one for you. Um, just drop us a retweet and follow us on Twitter to to win that. Um, sorry, anything from you to finish off? No, not really. Um, just looking forward to um, the games coming up, the championship games coming up and the Super Bowl. Um, talking about that potentially some more. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, over the course of our first season. I'm sure we'll, as Andy said, we'll be bringing you some more content shortly. Yeah, yeah definitely some free agency chat and some uh, draft chat for sure as well. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, guys, and uh, catch you later. <laughs>